0: The Bible, it's a remarkable book, really. It's like we said at the very beginning, this single story, the, the true story of the world. And what's good about a service like this is you get to hear this really familiar story, the birth of Jesus, in its context, which is not something we normally get, and so the context of the birth of Jesus really does start in a book that starts with these words, in the beginning, which is a, a nice little clue that this is about to be a story, a, a whole big story. And what I want to do is point out how there's a few themes that run through this whole story that come up in the, in the, the bits about Jesus being born, and, and just think for a minute if you were Matthew, we're going to read his version after I get finished talking for a couple of minutes, and or Luke, who we just heard his version, imagine if you were them and you were having to tell the birth of a child in the context of thousands of years of history and of this whole big book of the Bible. That's why Luke's version of the announcement of Jesus' birth and Matthew's, which we're about to hear, is very different than your version when your child was born. You weren't trying to pack in thousands of years of history and like all of this origin story. You weren't trying to show how it all came funneling into this moment. But Matthew and Luke both do that. And I want to point out two ways in particular that they do that. The first one is this bit about the shepherds. You see, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was born, Israel, where Jesus was born, was an agrarian society. And shepherds, it seems, owned property. Not a lot, but they typically owned a little bit of property. Not enough to kind of launch them out of poverty. Not even enough to um, support their sheep. In fact, it wasn't enough land to even fully support their families and definitely not enough land to produce the kind of revenue necessary to pay the tax burden. As a result, shepherds would uh, take their sheep liberally looking for food, which didn't exactly produce lots of goodwill. If you woke up one morning and there was another group of sheep, flock of sheep, eating on your land or your father-in-law's land. Maybe if it was your mother-in-law's land, this would be a good... No, no, just joking. Mother-in-law, that was a joke. As a result, shepherds were located, for this and some other reasons, toward the bottom of not just the economic scale, but the social scale. And so, think about that for a minute. Think about the way Luke tells the story of the birth of Jesus. The first name he mentions is Caesar Augustus. I mean, that's the top of the scale. That's way up there, right? And he starts with Caesar, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. He begins with Caesar Augustus. But the whole last half of the story of Jesus' birth, the whole last half of that is about shepherds. Now, in a hyper-stratified society where there's definitely... The haves who have power and have status, and the have-nots. This is a strange thing to do in a birth announcement. And what we see going on here, when you read that in light of the entire story that the Bible's telling, you get here a vision of the glory of God, which is normally associated with high-status temple. You get it here suddenly culminating not with high-status individuals, but with the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the powerless, peasant folk. Now, when you read this this story in this way, and you see that God's glory in this moment is not filling the temple. It's filling a farm. It's, it's, It's... directed not toward the priest or the emperors, but toward the low-status people in society. So think about this. If this is the culminating moment... Of a giant story that's been going on for thousands of years. And in this culminating moment, you have the supercharged entrance of God himself into the world he made. And he doesn't come as an imperial magnificence beyond all imagining. But he shows up as a peasant child. And the first announcement of the birth is to other peasants. This is... A a very powerful kind of way of telling the birth of Christ. Now, why is this? Why does Luke tell the story in this kind of jarring way? Because a few chapters later, in chapter 14, Jesus tells a story about a party that a king throws. And the people that he invites to the party are the poor, the lowly, the despised, the unclean. And in the story Jesus is telling, it's a parable explaining what he is all about. And in this story, it is those people who belong on the guest list of the king of the universe. So if you're arriving at Christmas this year with a deep sense of your own poverty, your own moral Neediness. if you feel a bit like Adam and Eve after they messed up hiding themselves in shame if you feel keenly your own weakness and brokenness isn't this a remarkable story? isn't it wonderful that, this, that it's to folk like you like me That the announcement shows up first. Who did you first tell? Those of you who had kids. Who did you first tell? Who did God first tell? The shepherds. Not the shepherds of Hallmark movies sentimentalized like, you know, kind of of idealized. No, these are stinky, looked down upon shepherds. So, what's going on here is that we see one of these threads that run shock through the Bible. It's that in Christ, the God, who is the only God, is offering you friendship, relationship, real, personal, intimate friendship. That's the first thing I want to point out. The second thing, it's not nearly so fun. In fact, this is going to be a little more insulting. I just was trying to get you on my side with that first bit. The second bit, you see, the first thing is that Christmas is this really personal thing. The second thing is that it's very political. Very political. Take Luke's version that we just heard read. The actual... Birth of Jesus is described in one verse. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. But for six verses leading up to that, we're told about Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. We're then told about the governor of Syria, a guy by the name of Quirinius. And in those same six verses, on four different occasions, we're told about a forced census. In fact, Luke devotes more space to the census than he does to the actual event of Jesus' birth. And then there's Matthew's version, which we're about to hear in just a moment. In Matthew chapter 2, we encounter the powerful but deeply corrupt King Herod. And he's defending his throne against yet another potential usurper and just a few verses beyond what we'll read because there's too many children we won't read all of it because it gets really disturbing just a few verses later we see this middle eastern dictator's explosive rage as he slaughters the innocent infants of Bethlehem in other words both Matthew and Luke narrate the birth of Jesus very different than you announce the birth of your children how many of you in your birth announcement of your children talked about kings slaughtering babies and evil, wicked emperors? You see, what they did was they, they told the birth of Jesus in a, way that, in a way that read more like the front page of the New York Times today. What I mean is the two Gospels that give us an account of Jesus' birth, both of them intentional, They intentionally describe his birth more in terms of the geopolitical situation than the overly sentimentalized versions we get in Christmas movies and church Christmas pageants. One more example. Remember the bit about the angels telling the shepherds about the birth of Jesus? The angels say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, it's hard for us to hear it in the way they originally heard it, those shepherds. We're removed by 2,000 years of history and by a massive cultural chasm. But this was very definitely politically charged speech. It was as politically charged as the newspapers this morning dealing with the government shutdown centered around the funding of a wall between the United States and Mexico. You see, for about six years prior to the birth of Jesus, Caesar Augustus had begun calling himself the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who brought peace and hope, and get this, good news. That was his term. Luke stole it from him. He wasn't borrowing it from the church. In fact, most of the titles that the angels give to Jesus in this passage and the things that they say Jesus will accomplish, it's taken straight out of the newspapers. Right out of the political sections. Right out of Caesar's campaign promises. So think about this. Both Matthew and Luke tell the story of the birth of Jesus in the middle of a politically charged environment, and they do it in politically charged ways. Now look, we have so many wonderful, fun, meaningful, helpful traditions here in America when it comes to Christmas. But when it comes to the original Christmas, And what God is up to when he comes in flesh to be born of the Virgin Mary. We should not, in our joyful, happy family experiences, we should not inadvertently screen out the emperors and the taxes and the politics and the walls at the border. Because when Matthew tells us about the birth of Jesus and when Luke tells us about the birth of Jesus, and when the angels announced the birth of Jesus, they were steadfastly, laser-focused, obnoxiously political. Why? Why, why did they tell it this way? Because they could have told it the way lots of people in our world tell the birth. They could have just said, hey, guess what? You know, Why did they tell it in this way? Why do they tell the birth of Jesus in the genre of politics? Why don't their Christmas stories sound like more like our Christmas carols? Silent, sweet, private, beautiful, without a drop of any controversial politics. Democrats and Republicans can all get in the room and sing Silent Night together. They could not have gotten in the room and sang the song the angels sang together. A fight would have started. Why did they do it this way? Why did they tell the story in this way? It's because the issue of politics and government and nations and immigration and all of those very complex issues, they are critical to the purpose and the message and the truth of Christmas. That's why. Because politics is the key of Christmas. The point that both Luke and Matthew are making is that the birth of this little boy is the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And this is important for us to see tonight. Because we run the risk, in the way our society approaches Christmas, whether you're Christian or not Christian, we run the risk of taking all the politics out of the story and of keeping Christmas and Christianity locked away from the real problems that we really do face in this real world that we live in. And so when the Bible tells us about the birth of Jesus, it is not about the separation of church and state. It is about the confrontation of church and state. Christianity is never about an escape from the real world of immigration and justice and stock markets and capitalism and empires and taxes and bloodthirsty wars. It is about God's way of addressing these issues from within the world, coming into our world, which is his world, and shouldering the burden of authority. Remember all those passages from Isaiah. The government shall be on his shoulders, not relegated away, locked in the closet. And his, and his kingdom will have no end. Christmas is never about an escape into a cozy little family moment. It is about God himself dealing with the evil of the world. Both the evil in your heart and my heart and the evil in systems and the evil that is structured into our our kind of whole set of institutions. It is about chaos. It is about violence. It is about oppression in all of its horrible forms. Christmas, you see, Jesus' birth is, yes, it absolutely is an invitation to shepherds. To come and look at Him. And to find in Him all of their heart's desires. Absolutely. It is about a personal relationship with God. But it is also about what we're going to do about immigration. And what we're going to do about an increasing economic gap. And what we're going to do in our city about an incredible lack of housing for those lowest on the socioeconomic spectrum. And about whatever it is that our politicians and we get together and argue about, it's about that Jesus' birth is a summons to pay attention to emperors and to empires. You can't read any story of the birth of Jesus without seeing the governors and the politicians and the taxes... And systemic systemic evils, it's about our eyes being open to these things, to the systems that are crushing people. And the angels identify Jesus as Savior. Savior, it literally means one who delivers people from their actual, real, concrete barriers and enemies. When you keep reading in Luke's gospel, you see what it looks like for this child to grow up into this story. And to deliver people from their real concrete enemies. You see it. Because he shows up in swaddling cloth again. This is just the first time he's wrapped up. He's going to be wrapped again. In his death. This is him taking this stuff seriously. And and, and what we are called to do at Christmas is to come like the angels, and like we're going to hear in just a moment about the Magi, to come before the Christ child and pray to him in love and devotion. And by doing that, we will learn to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should force us to open our eyes. what the powers of the world are up to today. Rome had delivered a peace, but it was a brutal peace. It was an armed peace with the Roman foot planted squarely on the necks of her defeated enemies. It was a peace won on a battlefield with the cost of an enormous amount of bloodshed. And it was not a real peace. It was a desolation. Nothing more than the forced pacification through war. It's the kind of brutally enforced social quietude often found under tyranny the kind of peace built from terror and slavery and taxation the peace that God brings through Jesus however is beautiful and it is life giving and God will complete that victory that was gained by Jesus in his birth in his life in his death and in his resurrection and we can draw down on that victory and we can anticipate that great peace to come when we celebrate the human birth of God, a God astonishing beyond all expression. So I invite you to worship the Christ child and keep opening your eyes to the empires and your ears to the song of the angels and then go for it. Join God in his work for the good of this earth. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.